Everybody uses these devices differently. Everybody has a different use model, different context model, different applications. These devices will get smart to the point where they will customize and be aware of the context based on who is using and adapt to that context. And I think with AI and machine learning coming on so strong, that context awareness is going to get to the next level in the next few years. And we're just seeing early stages of it with you know chatbots and speech agents and so on. But there's a much, much bigger concept of devices being totally aware and customized to each end user and behave differently. Welcome to Conversations with Des. I'm your host, Des Blanchfield. Today, I have the amazing privilege and pleasure to be joined in the studio by Raj Taluri. Now, Raj is a Senior Vice President and General Manager of the Mobile Business Unit at Micron Technology. Raj, thanks for making time to catch up with us. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Des. Really my pleasure to be here and wonderful to talk to you. Indeed. Now, you're described as a technologist uh, who has built camera teams at Texas Instruments and at Qualcomm. You're now at uh, Micron Technologies. Uh, your doctoral dissertation, in fact, uh, from the University of Texas uh, at Austin, apparently focused on image technology. And one of the things I really loved is that you're a photographer underpinning all this. So there was a quote that I saw somewhere in one of your bios that you're always thrilled to bring your work home with you. The role itself is, is just an astounding role, and I, I would love to delve into that. And I'd love to also get into what a day in the life of the general manager and vice president of the business unit of that whole mobile space is like and then I'd love to have a conversation around the whole space around what's happening in I guess the broad brushstroke of innovation in phones and smartphones around 5G and the industry around it but before we dive into that I wonder if you'd mind uh, just giving the audience just a little bit of insight into you personally yeah absolutely I'd love to love to share uh, some uh, some thoughts on that so I I, uh, I did my uh, bachelor's and master's uh, you know uh, degrees in electrical engineering in, in India I grew up there and then uh, I worked for the Indian Space Research Institute, actually, it's the institute that actually makes uh, satellites that go around around the Earth. And I had the great opportunity to work on a, a program called the Star Sensor, which actually uses um, uses uh, image sensors to actually look at the position of the stars so it can attitude correct the satellite. It's a great problem. as was my first introduction to imaging, and uh, that was long back in 1986, uh, 87, around that time frame. And uh, I fell in love with the whole concept of imaging, and then I came to the U.S. to do my uh, doctoral work at the University of Texas at Austin, again in uh, image processing, computer vision. Um, I guess now it's a lot more popular with AI and, and machine learning type stuff. Um, that was uh, that was a, a exciting times. So I learned a lot about image processing and uh, how cameras work and uh, how computers process pictures. And that led me to Texas Instruments, where I started working in the computer vision research center again and uh, working on computer vision research at TI. Um, along the way, uh, I, uh, I started working. In those days, all cameras were um, um, film cameras. And there were no digital cameras. Uh, there came an opportunity from our sales team that uh, you know these things called digital cameras are getting popular. Uh, they asked me, Raj, can you go take a look at it? I was in the research labs at that time. And I did take a look at it, and it's very interesting. We found that um, a lot of the image processing is actually uh, done now, not in the film, but in the processor to create this great picture. So I started working on how to make uh, digital cameras, and I had the great fortune to work with uh, almost every top digital camera company at that time. And, uh, and that was a great, uh, great experience. And we got to build uh, uh, processors, you know, associates for, uh, for making uh, uh, digital pictures out of uh, CCD sensors. And uh, that was a great business, and I stuck with it. Um, some a lot of innovations there. Uh, over time, then we saw that uh, this digital camera technology was becoming very popular in the phones, um, or at least we thought it would become very popular in the phones. And I, had, I and my team made a pitch to make a processor that actually would help um, cell phones take great pictures. And the concept was that um, you know a lot of times people you ask me this question, uh, what's the best camera, Raj? And the answer that I found that, you know, somewhere, I read it somewhere is the best camera is the camera that have on you all the time. Because when you don't have it, it doesn't really matter how good the camera is. And a cell phone is something that you have on you all the time. So, so we thought it would be really cool to actually make a cell phone take a great picture. Um, and that was actually not easy because uh, in a cell phone, it's very space constrained. It's just a small lens, uh, just like a pinhole lens, and the optics are very small. The sensor is very small. But people's expectations of pictures was actually what's done by a, a great digital camera or a nice film camera. 
So there was this technological challenge of how to make cell phones take really good pictures that rivaled uh, existing digital cameras and film cameras. And at that time, you know, this is kind of like, you know, maybe early 90s. It's very, very tough to do that. But we kept at it. And over time, I mean, if you see now, people launch a 100 megapixel camera in a phone, and you can almost many times not tell if the picture is taken by a phone or by a digital camera. So that was a great innovation we stuck with at Texas Instruments, and uh, we made process that went into uh, pretty much Nokia phones and Motorola phones and, um, you know, all those phones that existed at the time. Um, and I moved on along the way to actually run that business that made the processors, not just the camera processor, but... Phones then started doing things like doing web browsing, playing audio, having GPS, having the, you know, Wi-Fi built in, and so on. So the whole mobile processor became this um, center of the phone, and uh, I had the good fortune to be able to run that division at uh, at Texas Instruments, which is an application processor called OMAP, uh, which stood for Open Multimedia uh, Platform. Um, and from then on, I moved to Qualcomm, where, again, I continued to work on uh, application process, and I had the fortune, good fortune to, again, work on uh, Snapdragon, which is actually a very, um, probably one of the best uh, application processes in the market today. It clearly has the largest market share. I was able to start with it at a very early stage and build that franchise over the next uh, seven, eight, nine years to be the number one application processor in that space. So it's been a great journey building processors. And uh, I guess a couple of years ago, I got this opportunity from Micron to actually move from uh, processors to actually another aspect of uh, another chipset in the mobile phone, which is actually the memory and the storage. So I saw this um, kind of discontinuity at the time frame uh, when I was working on mobile processors um, in, uh, in Qualcomm that, um, you know, the amount of money people were spending on, on memory and storage in smartphones, I, I meant by the by people, I mean the customers who actually buy these chipsets, was actually quite quite a bit. And the value was actually, uh, quite a bit of the value was actually in, in storing the data and, and, and transforming the data into information. So I saw this shift of, uh, of uh, not only the value of the processing and of the importance of memory and storage in a mobile phone to create that data experience. So I moved here to Micron uh, to actually run that division. And it's been a fantastic journey for the last couple of years. We've been able to do a lot of a lot of interesting things here. Wow, that's that's an amazing background. I hope one day you sit down and write that in a book. It'd be a compelling reading. I, I love the uh, the mental image, if you'll pardon the pun, around the fact that you were a big picture guy focused on space before you even got into this area of, of, of mobile <laughs> devices. That, that must have been an astounding experience. Uh, and I know you're you're a huge fan of photography yourself. I mean, I've, I've seen some of your amazing work uh, both on your own personal website and gallery, and and regularly on your uh, Twitter feed. I I, uh, I had to smack the like button the other day on a shipwreck image that you posted, and uh, so it's, it, it, I love the fact that you've come from this background of like looking at space and capturing images. Now bought it through the processes, as you said. Now moving to storage and memory, and bringing that whole piece together, and still manage to get out and capture some amazing pictures. How much time do you manage to dedicate to just getting out and breathing fresh air and taking some photos? Yeah, I mean that's interesting. You mentioned that. You know, it's been a hobby of mine from a long time, and you know, I I, I try to explore the creative side of photography and not just the technology side of photography in doing these pictures. And as you know, in the creative side. Um, you know, there's really no end to it. You know, you can keep doing it. And I, I really enjoy that. And uh, it's a great uh, breakaway from the day-to-day -day grind of running a business uh, to be able to go out, you know, and then shoot. Um, I shot in different parts of the world. And, uh, you know, I mean, that, that picture you're talking about was actually, I shot it at a place called Point Reyes, which is a couple hours uh, north of uh, San Francisco here. Um, there is this, uh, you know, board that actually, you know, kind of... Um, uh, I guess uh, landed and they call it the shipwreck picture. Uh, it's a very famous picture. A lot of people, lot of famous spot. A lot of photographers have shot it. And when I shot that picture, I was trying to, you know, create this vision of, um, um, you know, kind of complex things because I, I was going to go shoot that picture. Then I saw this beautiful sky in the back and the water in the front and uh, this old dilapidated boat that's still kind of intact as a boat structure, but clearly you can see that been wrecked for a while and then i saw this person walk up and take a picture of it with his phone camera and i just couldn't help capture that whole scene of the person shooting the picture of the of the of the shipwreck board the sky in the back somehow it felt like it summarized a lot of the stuff i was talking about so that was a very exciting time and actually 
The other interesting thing about taking pictures, I I, I tell people is that you know, again something I read somewhere is not my quote, is that I don't take pictures of things as I as they are. I take pictures of them as I like to see them, um, and that's kind of what that picture is about. Um, I think many people will shoot that same scene, but they all see something different, you know. Oh, absolutely! How fortuitous that the because uh, I did notice that, and I wasn't sure whether it was staged or not. But it did not escape me that there was a smartphone <laughs> photographer in the shot. Uh, I thought that was I thought it was very well staged, but it was fortuitous. It was just someone randomly walking up. He captured the moment perfectly. Yeah, he just happened to be there. Yeah, he just happened I, uh, to be there. Yeah. I hope you get a great big six six foot long version of that on your office wall someday. Um, but I also like the the, the balance that you, you bring because obviously you've got an enormous amount of passion around what you do professionally. But to have the balance to then go and put that into practice and actually use the technology yourself, I think, gives you a really great uh, connection to what you're actually designing and building in the first place. Uh, there are a lot of people that work on technology and systems and software. They don't always get their hands on it or use it, and sometimes they're disconnected. So the fact that you're actually out in the field and shooting and grabbing those photos uh, kind of brings it all back home as to, well, why are you doing this in the first place, right? Um, so what- Absolutely. And, you know, I shoot with the real cameras that when I shoot them, and I always compare that to what a cell phone picture would take. I take pictures of the boat. And there is a joke around when I used to work that I always send pictures back from my phones and say, why is this picture like this? Why is it not as good as my digital camera? My engineers <laughs> hated the fact that I'd be out shooting all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine your agile scrums discussing that <laughs> would be curly moments. Um, <laughs> well, with that in mind, I mean, you know, when we think about your overall role, I mean, it's, it's a couple of interesting challenges because from the GM part, you, you've got a lot of operational focus and from the senior vice president component, you've got strategic and future direction. When you look at the balance of those two components across the mobile business unit at Micron, uh, what does a day in the life of Raj Tiluri look like? Is there such a thing as a normal day? Um, there is no such thing as a normal day. I think every day is, uh, is interesting and different. And, you know, I'm fortunate to have a job where I can't wait to get to work because it's just a exciting every day to see some new challenges. There's different aspects to the to the role. I mean, clearly, these roles, um, a big part of the role is actually uh, strategy and decision-making um, because uh, many times we have to sit and think about, you know, what, what is, what kind of memory, what kind of storage is going to be in the phones three to four years from now um, because the decisions we make on uh, what we invest in our fabs, what kind of memory we design, what kind of features we put into the memory, what kind of features we put into the storage, it, it takes two to three years for these things to come out into the market, you know, many times three or even more. Um, so a lot of the work is the strategic in the nature in predicting the future, if you will, of what that will look like. And there's a big part of running the business aspect, like day-to-day, um, you know, making sure our customers sell the right products and the parts are working in the field and, and the engineers are motivated. And, uh, and then also an interesting challenge at Micron is we are one of the few companies that owns and operates our own fabs, our own manufacturing facilities. So there's a, you know, quite a bit of operational bent to, you know, what wafers do we start, when do we start them, what's the packaging lead times, what's the inventory situation like, you know, what are the memory prices doing in the market. And there's a, there's a, 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 quite a bit of an operational bent to it. Uh, but you know, there's a lot of people that work. It's a big team effort, and we're in meetings discussing this, and we're looking for data. But you know, clearly the 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 important and the fun part is the strategy part, where we have to decide what's coming, what's going to happen a few years from now, and then we have to operationalize the strategy so we can turn it into a profitable business. I, mem- I imagine there's a lot of focus around the exploding value of memory and storage in mobile devices, and 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 not necessarily just the handsets we're sort of talking about as far as smartphones go, but when we think about mobile devices, there's a, almost a Cambrian explosion, if you like, of the amount of memory and storage that goes into these devices now. And, and, and even my Audi Q5 has a, a phone built into it for all of the different types of services from <laughs> location and data movement, updating its own software. You've got to have this future vision and ability to sort of crystal ball gaze for a while. At what point did, did you imagine that this explosion in the value of memory and storage was going to become a thing and sort of shift up the focus? Because I know I was reading one of your recent blogs uh, and I think it was titled The uh, Beauties in the AI of the Beholder, which I thought was quite cute. But y- you did a great job of covering some of the big challenges that are, that are facing us now where we're seeing things like multiple cameras being integrated, smartphones, ridiculous amounts of processing power, right. you know, 16 gigabytes of DRAM, a terabyte of storage for, uh, for persistent storage for images and storing mail and whatever. There must have been a point in time where you realize that there's going to be this exploding value in this space and then to sort of focus on it strategically and then get on and design product for that and then bring it to the market. 
Yeah, I mean, so, so the main thing uh, does here is that uh, ultimately, you know, mobile phones uh, are essentially consumer devices, right? So it's, it's basically devices that people buy, and it's probably the most loved consumer device anybody has, right? I mean, you know, if you just see a person, um, you know, people let you drive their car and whatnot, but very few people let you share their phone, right? I mean, it's just a very personal device. And, you know, if, God forbid, you forget your phone or lose your phone, and you can see the you know, kind of anxiety on people's faces. So it's kind of like one of those things that no one wants to be without. And one of the reasons is that the phone has kind of evolved into the, you know, kind of world's largest platform, right? A platform where applications come in, experiences happen, and people use it for many, many things. And and these are things that they didn't even expect that they would do when the phones were launched. Um, so, you know, that that kind of has created this uh, enormous um, need for memory and storage. And and so it's important to understand when we put memory and storage products into the phones that why are we putting that and what exactly is the benefit to the end user? Because ultimately that's what matters and you know, because that's what makes people buy a phone. And what we found is that, uh, you know, a few things have happened that have kind of really made the need for uh, large amounts of memory, large amounts of storage happen. And maybe and I've kind of watched this over the last 20 years. And I guess the, one of the key things now that's happening is, um, you know, maybe a few trends. You know, one of them is, as we talked about cameras, I think camera is a, is a big deal because, you know, cameras, you know, it's interesting for me to watch from the time when I first started arguing for putting a camera in the mobile phones to my senior VP at TI that this is going to happen to, and we were debating who wants a camera and a phone, to now the reason people buy upgrade a phone sometimes is because, um, they have a better camera. Uh, that's one of the big ones. Now, the other aspect of it is really the AI and machine learning. And this is a, an aspect of the phones that actually is not talked about a lot and people don't quite know it as much. But I actually believe that there is more AI and machine learning in the camera than in many, many other devices. You know, for example, uh, when you take a picture, um, the camera is always analyzing Am I taking a picture of a person? You know, can I detect the face? Or is it an indoor picture? Is it an outdoor picture? You know, is it a picture that sun is in the back, back, or is it fall pictures? And actually, a lot of the camera phones right now will label the scene as they're taking it. And the reason for that is, if the if the phone can detect what it is taking a picture of, it can produce a much better picture. And that takes a lot of image processing, a lot of machine learning, a lot of AI to run in the phone. And what we found is that, that to do that kind of AI, to do that kind of processing you have to have a lot of high-speed, high-bandwidth memory that's very close to the processor because the bottleneck to do AI is very quickly become the memory and the memory access. Uh, that's one reason I think uh, the memory in the phones is growing up a lot. Uh, the other aspect of it is um, just the number of use cases, right? I mean, people use phones now to browse. People now use phones to watch HD video. People now download a whole bunch of uh, a whole season of uh, some show on Netflix and then they play it back or uh, you know they record video and they uh, listen to music and they have music subscription they have GPS on the phone so all these use cases you know just need a lot of memory to be in the phone because many times each of these use cases ends up being an application and people like to keep all these applications alive and resident in the memory, because if you shut them down, it takes a long time to boot them up again, and you don't have the instant experience of using an app. And uh, and that's actually really driving uh, a lot of this. Uh, and the other big one that we're finding now is really 5G. Um, because of 5G, you know, 5G is going to be a huge platform. And what 5G is doing is the amount of data bandwidth that's going to come to your phone, it's already coming to your phone with some of the 5G phones launched, is so much more that people can really imagine use cases of the phone, which they couldn't before. And uh, for example, you know, there's a lot of uh, buzz at uh, CES show on uh, phones with foldable screens. And you know, and Motorola introduced a phone that actually the old Razer where they brought it back, where you can flip it open. And LG has a phone that's got dual display. You know, Samsung has a, has a has a foldable Note. What happens in these devices is that now suddenly the screen is much bigger. But the form factor can be still very conveniently small when you fold them. When the screen gets bigger, you now have the opportunity to run multiple applications at the same time on that screen, kind of like how you do it on your uh, multitasking Windows PC. And that is interesting because when that happens along with 5G, each of those windows has now a lot of dedicated bandwidth to run a high bandwidth application in that, which means the phone processor has to now handle multiple apps 
running at the same time with a lot of bandwidth. And that drives a lot of memory and storage requirements. So these kind of things that are coming are actually really, really helping drive that. And for us at Micron to be able to think about that and anticipate these trends and kind of quantify these trends into what exactly are the kind of products we should build and in what form factor, what price point, what power numbers, what instantiations we should bring to the market is really the strategic challenge. And that, that I think, uh, is, is also a great opportunity for us. Uh, indeed, and I guess underpinning all of that was the you know the con- continual development of you know the G's, if you like. We've now got five G coming out. We had three G and then four G, and when we think about three G, you know, if we estimate roughly seven megabit a second into the phone, that's a lot of wireless data. But as you said, there's all the stuff happening in the device itself, from you know the applications, multiple applications, multiple windows popping up, um, you know, graphics and image and music and watching videos. 4G came out was like roughly 20 megabit a second, and that that was you know like more right. than more than nearly three times the throughput, um, and then of course more ability to move data in and out, but still a lot of data moving around, uh, and and then we sort of got the point where um, when we started looking at 4G LTE, I mean that went to sort of roughly 30 megabit a second. But 5G is going to be gigabits a second, Mm -hmm. right? It's like it's not even just one order of magnitude more. It's dozens. Um, And as you said, like when you've got hundreds of megapixels in a phone, uh, it's no longer a phone anymore. I guess in many ways when you think about some of the commentators that have been talking about what the mobile devices have become, it's almost a a weird thing to call it a phone anymore because it's really just a computer that runs apps and happens Mm -hmm. to make phone calls, right? when we think about some of those use cases, and, and you know, when you mentioned 5G, things like just the whole imagery space and not just taking photos, but like things around health and safety, um, transport, when we think about artificial intelligence, gaming, all of the internet of things that sort of interconnect with that and underpinning challenges around the processing power, the power consumption batteries. And there's a lot of innovation happening within the phones themselves and then what 5G will make possible I mean, what are some of the things that you're thinking about now as to, well, you know, how do we, how do we as Micron think about the next big phase? You've done some amazing work around the compute component. You've done some amazing work around the imagery. Now some amazing work around memory and storage in particular. There must be some interesting conversations happening now where you're thinking, well, as you said before, like, you know, what's happening in the next three plus years and what do we need to work on around these big areas, whether it's consumer gaming and other fun things or whether it's leveraging, you know, artificial intelligence um, and all those components around them. There must be some big pivotal shifts taking place now where you're thinking beyond just the device. And I know um, it brings to mind the fact that, you know, not, not very recently you had the, the, the um, latest Micron Insight event, for example. And one of the things that struck me was there was a lot of human and people-focused uh, uh, discussion there where it was like, mm-hmm. yes, you've got an amazing technology stack, um, but it seemed to me that there was a lot of focus on health and transport and logistics and aviation and mm-hmm. things around people. Is it fair to say that now the focus is sort of not so much shifted away from, but, but included the broader view of the world that you're impacting and, and influencing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the way, way we think about it, Micron, is, you know, we have a tagline that, that says intelligence accelerated. And it's kind of something that we truly believe in, in the sense that, uh, you know, the, the demands for memory and storage are, are a lot more secular now than they ever were, in the sense that the big driver for a long time was really PCs and the PC memories, DDR and so on. But now it's gone into mobile phones. And then all these cars, you know, autonomous driving and, uh, and the driver assist is driving a lot of need for it. IoT, edge devices, it's more and more of the intelligence moving to the edge. You know, I had a good fortune of running the Internet of Things business also while I was at Qualcomm, and I got to really understand all these edge devices working with, you know, 500 customers that make different, different end products that go from, uh, you know, water meters to electric meters to parking meters to cars. to. So we can see the need for processing at the edge because not everybody wants to transmit everything to the cloud and come back. You know, there's bandwidth issues, there's security issues, there's latency issues, and so on. So a lot of processing is moving to the edge, which means a lot of memory is needed at the edge. So for us at Micron, we look at the holistic view of all the different endpoints, if you will, and that's the way we think about this, and the cloud, which is also one end of the endpoint, uh, where we need their memory and storage is needed and try to come up with the right products that, uh, that uh, you know, accelerate the intelligence into all those areas, right? Uh, and, you know, the biggest challenge actually does is that we, when we think of these uh, tech 
technology transitions like 1G, 2G, 3G, 4G, 5G. It's very difficult to, and a lot of people ask me, Raj, what's the killer app? You know, actually the funny thing is the platform is the killer app. Uh, and, uh, and I've heard somebody else say that the other day. For example, when we were working on mobile phones, we all thought of, hey, we should put the GPS in the phone and people will want to know where they are and location is good and so on. But no one thought Uber and, uh, and Lyft would come up and they, the phone would replace car purchase because we put GPS in it, you know? Uh, so, this is, so the real applications are, you know, we don't even know what those are, uh, but anticipating and building the capability in the platform so that such innovation can come in is kind of where we spend a lot of energy and being open-minded about that and having, you know, observing technology trends to see what those could potentially be is the best we can do. And then reacting quickly as new applications come to, you know, making sure that we are able to uh, be able to anticipate that. And I, I, I kind of give you an example of something that I, I found like truly fascinating. You know, I, you know, if you're a sports fan, if some of your audience are sports fans and you watch, you know, NFL or tennis or one of those things, you actually, nowadays we kind of got used to this, uh, this 360 degree view where let's say someone throws a ball and you catch it and then suddenly it cuts and the TV studio will replay a view of that moment with the camera swirling around 360 degrees around the action, you know? I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with what I'm talking about. Um, those are basically done by having multiple cameras in the stadium uh, recording that scene, and then those are processed uh, and put together into this one short clip of the 360 capture and sent to your device, and you watch it. Now, I saw somebody, you know, I think one of our customers, I thought it was LG maybe, show that uh, when 5G happens, you will be able to transmit all those viewpoints, maybe five or ten cameras that you have in 4K, and you can combine them on the phone yourself and then figure out by just a, by, by touch of a button and figure out which viewpoint you want to watch it from or create the 360 view on the phone. It's kind of pretty amazing if you think about it. And if you think about that, that is the true promise of interactive TV that we've been talking about for a long time, where the user chooses a viewpoint and not the cameraman, you know? And every user can choose a separate viewpoint. And that's kind of my point about the best applications are yet to come. And we have to kind of anticipate when such a thing happens, what kind of storage you need, what kind of memory you need, what kind of throughput you need to really enable that. Indeed. Yeah, I think your point with regard to, you know, the next killer app, I, I, I like to think that, in many ways, we, we're never going to predict every possible use case and every new innovation as far as the way the technology is applied. Uh, in, in many ways, we don't really even need to actually know. Uh, I like to think that um, mm -hmm. innovation is, is very often opportunistic by nature. So if you've, you've got people like yourself thinking about mm -hmm. what's, what's got to go into these devices and, and a company like Micron designing and building and implementing and making available – uh, dreamers will dream about things and do exactly what you're saying. It's like, you know, well, because I, I went to, as you said, you know, like, I love the tennis. I was there recently and I noticed that everyone's staring at their phone and I couldn't work out why. And it was that very reason you're talking about, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I was up in the nosebleeds at the very sort of, you know, cheap, faraway seats in the top end. And yes, I could see the players bouncing <laughs> backwards and forwards. But I, could, I realized, oh, I just pull out my phone. I can see the high-res imagery. And I'm here. I've got the ambience. I've got, <laughs> you know, I've, I've got the terrible food and a sugary beverage and the ambience, and I'm getting sunburned. But I, I can see it in 4K <laughs> on my phone, and I can hear the grunts in, in real life. There. And it, it struck me exactly what you're talking about. It's just like that, that experience now is shifting where it's actually okay to be at a live tennis match watching the champions and the champions and our lifetime heroes and actually be looking at our phone because we're actually consuming the experience in high res. And I, I think there's going to be some interesting things there because obviously we're talking about entertainment there, but when you think about yeah. things like health, you know, imagine a, a health right. specialist either remotely or in person and Australia as America has, you know, we, we, we've had to create a thing called the right. flying doctor, the flying doctor service because we, we've got so many remote areas. There are no mm. doctors out in the outback. And uh, so I can imagine exactly what mm. you're talking about for sport and entertainment now it goes to education, goes to health and other things. Yeah, medicine. Um, right. And it's going to be an exciting time. I do love your brand promise of intelligence accelerated because that, that's, that's probably the heartbeat of the organization now. Now, to that very point, you had an exciting okay. announcement uh, this morning, which I was wondering if I could get some uh, comment on. You announced a very exciting uh, outcome with regard to one of your partners and a new device they have and how effectively, as far as I can tell, uh, the bulk of the brains of the device was effectively uh, Micron Magic. Firstly, maybe just give us a brief summary of what the announcement was and what it entails. 
Yeah, absolutely. So what we announced uh, was uh, our partnership with uh, with uh, uh, a leading uh, phone OEM called uh, Xiaomi. Xiaomi is an amazing company, you know, really an innovator in this space, and and uh, you know they make some great phones. And they announced a new phone called the M10, and that phone actually uses the Micron memory. But more importantly, it uses a new, the latest in the Micron memory uh, called LPDDR5. You know, LP stands for uh, low power. This is the low power DDR memory, except it's the the latest low power DDR memory standard called LPDDR5. And the importance of it is LPDDR5, when you look at previous generation, which is called LPDDR4, uh, it really improves on uh, on a couple of different vectors. And both those are related to the experiences I was talking about. It improves on the bandwidth, so you can communicate to the memory much faster. So the throughput of how much data can go from the process, the memory, and back is much higher. And uh, and uh, And more importantly, the power consumption of the memory itself compared to previous generation memory is 20% better. So your battery will actually last longer when you use LPDDR5 uh, for the same applications, or you can have the same amount of battery life and run much higher performance applications. So very, very exciting. It's actually the first time in the world that uh, that this LPDDR5 will uh, will uh, will be in the market. We delivered it uh, together with Xiaomi on this phone. So it's, a, it's an industry first for us, and we've been working on it for, as I said, many years because uh, you know we, we foresaw that uh, when 5G happens, we will need much higher bandwidth and we will need much lower power. So we anticipated the needs of 5G and AI in phones and built this product in which, uh, you know, the timing of it is just right to actually hit the flagship phone. And, of course, there will be many, many other phones that will come with it as follow-on. And uh, and I and we believe that the industry will move towards this new standard. Um, but we're super excited to be the first one to bring it out. And congratulations. And, you know, I think um, it's it's important to highlight that uh, these kinds of innovations don't happen by accident. There's a lot of work, a lot of planning uh, and, exactly. and, and so forth to, to within your own organization to actually get the capability to make products available for your consumers like Xiaomi. And then when they look at getting the, uh, is it the Mi 10, the new smartphone? And, and I call it the monster phone because I think it's got a 108 megapixel sensor. And I can't <laughs> exactly. wait to get my hands on this thing, right? Because my, my tiny little uh, Panasonic Lumix uh, G5, I think it's like 21 and 24 <laughs> megapixels. Uh, I, I feel like I like uh, the poor cousin. Um, but you know, these things don't happen by accident in my mind. It's like there's a lot of work, a lot of planning go into that. Um, I wonder if you can share a little bit yeah, about that. Yeah, many years, many years, actually. It takes many years. Indeed. Yeah. Um, what can you share about that journey leading up to this? I mean, the announcement is very exciting, but there must, I mean, the roadmaps that get to the point where you form that relationship and you work together and design these things, uh, what do those kinds of rela- uh, journeys look like to sort of start from this idea of, well, we're designing and building this and it's got the ability to compute, it's got you know, processing, it's got storage. Um, there must be some interesting steps right. phasing through that point to where you now have this exciting yeah. announcement come out. Yeah, absolutely. The way these things work does is that, you know, we did, you know, actually this is a transition. You know, there was LPDDR2, you know, I watched that. Then there's LPDDR3, there's LPDDR4, now there's LPDDR5. And what happens is just like, you know, we're talking about through the the 4G standards, there's a set of standards in memory. You know, each time this new standard comes, um, you know, a bunch of people get together and figure out what should be in that standard and what are the kind of use cases that standard would develop. So we we first saw this uh, in LPDDR4 that uh, we were able to get, some performance, but as 5G comes in, you know, the modem needs much higher bandwidth, apps processor needs much higher bandwidth. There's, you know, we forecasted what kind of cameras, you know, resolutions would come at that time, what kind of video people would record. And when we added all up, we felt, uh, hey, LPDDR4 won't be able to keep up because when you want to run all these things at the same time, if you extrapolate the camera resolution, if you extrapolate the video resolution, if you extrapolate the 5G bandwidth required, if you extrapolate the process speed, if you extrapolate the AI that runs in the camera, we realized that the current memory standard will not be able to keep up in terms of bandwidth. And even if it did keep up, the battery is only going up at a certain rate. So the power of the phone, the, you know, you won't be able to use your phone for the whole day. So we started working on this new standard along with a bunch of other uh, industry partners to create this standard called LPDDR5. It's a JEDEC standard. So it, it comes from a definition. It comes from an understanding of the market. It comes from understanding the requirement comes from defining the requirements, comes from building a standard that actually meets that, then actually designing the chip uh, that meets the standard, taping it out, bringing it out, you know, making sure it can be produced in high volume, then working with Xiaomi and then working with Qualcomm, you know, my previous employer who actually makes the processor inside that phone, uh, to work together with them to connect this memory to the processor and then make sure that all that software works together 
to deliver that performance. So it's kind of a, uh, you know, it takes a village really to to make these things happen, and uh, they're part to be part of the ecosystem. Yeah, I love that line. I, I'm a big fan of that concept. That it takes a village to build these things. There's, um, you know, when we th- we've talked about five G a couple of times, I'd, I wonder if we can just dive into that a bit more. There's so many big impact innovations in a positive way that now that you've got this capability, and, and, and again, congratulations on this exciting partnership and, and announcement today. Um, this to me seems like the very, very tip of the iceberg as, as, as far as uh, new and exciting innovations that are coming to the market from you. When I think about some of the, the messaging I saw from the Insight event recently, as I mentioned before, you know, there's, there's these big sectors around health and education, transport, logistics, security, et cetera, and then the underpinning you know, data management, artificial intelligence, analytics, et cetera. Um, you know, th- there must be some big shifts that you're now seeing where um, what might have been for 40-odd years been your traditional market space of building uh, semiconductor-level technology. People must be coming to you now saying, look – You've got some amazing tech, but could you come and join us in a boardroom? And here's a whiteboard marker. Give us a view of where this is going to take us. You know, when 5G comes along, I imagine that the team, yourself and your team and, and Micron broadly, are now positioned such that you're moving all the way up the stack and, and sort of all the way to so that consulting professional services for organizations saying, how is 5G going to impact our enterprise leveraging your technology and devices that are in that, have got them inside? Um, is this something that you're seeing now where organizations are coming to you saying, well, we want you to sort of talk to us a lot further uh, up the stack. We want to talk about the business opportunities. We want to see what 5G is going to be, what 5G is going to make possible because you're better positioned than anyone in the world to talk about that, particularly around data management, memory management, and, and that whole space in there. Um, what does that look like current in your organization when organize, companies come to you and say, uh, great hardware, great systems and software, great AI, um, but can you help us think about what we're going to do with health and leveraging 5G or transport? Um, that must be an interesting series of conversations you're having mm-hmm. these days. Yeah, I mean, uh, so so the way I'd like to think about uh, the position Micron is in is that, you know, ultimately at the, at the core, you know, we are a chip company and we have large factories and we manufacture chips and that's what we sell. But what we sell uh, are not just chips. What we deliver is actually a solution, although we monetize the chips. And when, what I mean by that is, you know, you have to understand how these chips work in the entire uh, end product that they're going to and what's the value they provide and really, you know, provide a higher value solution, which is actually what we try to, what we are, you know, trying to work on in Micron, to not just be a commodity memory or a storage provider, but a higher value solution provider. And that could come in many forms, um, you know, working closely with our partners, you know, modifying the chips to do something better for them, understanding the end application and customizing it to, to, to meet that application well and so on. And you know, I mean, I, you know, if you, you know, I'll, 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 I'll leave you with uh, uh, maybe another thought of what we think about Micron. If you actually uh, think about uh, the world of, uh, you know, phones or PCs and so on, people talk about memory and storage, right? I mean, there's memory, which is the DRAM storage that's an end. Now, typically, memory is DRAM uh, is something that's very low latency, very high speed, and uh, and and more expensive. And if you think of NAND, it's uh, basically uh, slower speed device, but it's persistence. You know, what you write in there stays there, but it's much higher latency. You know, the interesting trend now that we observe is actually, is there something in between? You know, are there things that actually have more performance characteristics of DRAM in the sense that it's much faster than NAND, um, but they're persistent like the NAND, uh, but somewhere in between? And we announced a product, as you saw at, uh, at Insight, called 3D Crosspoint based uh, based. Uh, device. So that's uh, kind of an interesting new kind of new class of memories that merge, that blur the line between memory and storage. And that's the one way, you know, I see the market evolving is that there'll be multiple solutions, which is what they are. They're DRAM solutions, NAND solutions, and these kind of new memories, which kind of blur the line between the two, because the applications don't usually just fall into needing either DRAM or NAND. Sometimes they need something in between, right? And so that, that's an area we look about. Another area, actually, I'd like to think about is there's a lot, you know, in the future, you know, I think the line between processing and memory will also be a little bit blurry, you know, and there'll always be great process, always be great memory, but there'll be things in the middle. And the way I like to think about it is if you, if you, and I, I'm kind of a, a little bit of a, you know, I look to inspiration from biology when I actually look at products, which is kind of how the whole camera thing was, because I did, I worked on computer vision. I was always thinking, how do you make a camera that actually 
takes the picture like how humans would see in low light, in any kind of light. Because, you know, humans don't go around having big flashes on their shoulder that go, right? I mean, why do you need a flash in a digital camera, right? So it's kind of like the concept of uh, you should be able to make a sensor that will take a great picture in any lighting. Similarly, it's actually very hard to tell in a human brain where is the computation and where is the memory. Um, but in our, in our current machines, we actually divide them distinctly into memory and storage and, uh, and processors, which, again, is a line that we drew to get to, to make things happen. But you fast forward five, ten years, I don't know if that line would be drawn that way. You know? So I think, I think being open to the kind of architectures that make sense for the application and that could you know, blur the line of how today's architectures are, but evolve into that concept and, and be able to invest and be able to think ahead is kind of where we spend a lot of our time. Yeah, it reminds me of the opening line of one of your recent blogs where you said something to the effect that we're a visual species and about 80% of what we learn is through our eyes and that the majority of the processing power in the human brain is eye, human brain is eye driven to help us capture those visual cues from right. the environment around us, right? Install memories and make decisions and so forth. Um, with with 5G in mind and some of the things we're seeing now around the, the, the sort of the pivot to smart cities, digital cities and are, are always on a, a cultural behavioral shift, um, always being connected. There's some interesting big things that we're going to see coming about where when we think about, um, you know, some of the, the new consumers. I mean, there's a lot of people now in the world who've got a smartphone and they just keep upgrading, as you said. But I, in my mind, I'd, I'd love to sort of get your thoughts on this. But when we think about the three big sort of next user groups and the technology that's coming out from 5G and certainly with, with, with Micron uh, inside, as it were, uh, when we think of the 54 territories of, uh, and states of, of Africa with roughly 1.1 billion people and roughly 1.3 billion people in, in India and roughly 1.4 billion people in, in China, round that up to about 3.8 billion people. The bulk of them don't yet have a device of any form. They're about to start to get a price point where they can afford their first phone. Um, in my mind, it seems that the, the network will be rolled out and it'll be 5G. They'll be getting a 5G-enabled phone. Um, what do you think that's going to do to our cultural behavioral shift around the devices and the utilization? Because now we've got super high processing, super high uh, density storage, going to have these super high uh, powerful networks. Their first experience, their new normal of getting a device is going to be 5G with these monster phones yeah, like the one announced today. Uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on kind of where that's going to take us. Yeah, I mean, it's actually pretty amazing. You know, if you, if you, uh, you know, you, you raise a very valid point, which is, uh, you know, a lot of people in the, in the Western world, you know, we, we, we got used to landlines and the landlines became cell phones and the cell phones started doing more than making phone calls. And then we had computers and we had all these, you know, we had cameras and MP3 players and all the other stuff. And we saw them one by one merge into the phone. So what we saw actually was a, an aggregation of multiple consumer electronic devices, you know, the computer, the GPS, the navigation system, you know, the camera, you know, the audio player, you know, the web browser, uh, you know, all those things slowly merged into the phone and you slowly got rid of all those devices and used this one device. For all these other um, you know, for these people that you're talking about, that actually their first experience will be a device that um, that actually is this, you know, monster phone. I, I think that uh, it, it actually will create um, an ecosystem and, uh, and an application space that we haven't quite thought of because, you know, uh, many times, you know, we don't, we still use our phones. Um, people who have used phones are been using the phones as an evolution, you know, from uh, landline phones to now, kind of use them one function at a time, right? So we don't quite use multifunctions as well. But for some of these new users that get all this at one time, uh, it's just amazing how they would use them. Like, you know, for example, you know, I, you know, I came from India. I was in India over the holidays. And, uh, and uh, you know, we, we were getting some work done on the house, uh, get some, uh, you know, plumbing and whatnot. And, and uh, it's amazing. You know, these people that, uh, that work there, some of them, you know, don't have even high school education. But, you know, they, you tell him, I want this done. And he's like, okay. And, you know, you WhatsApp him. And, uh, and he tells you, okay, I want to put this kind of plumbing. He goes to the store, he takes a picture and sends you a picture of it and says, is this what you want? And I mean, you know, just, just the whole conversation with your, uh, with your uh, gardener or plumber in these developing countries is completely different. And even here, you know, many times I find when I got to do something, the guy has to come home, take a look at it and tell you what it is. So just the way people use their phones to improve their quality of life or, or you accept 
what can be done is very, very different now for people who got the phone for the very first time with all those functionality in it at one time, you know, rather than getting them evolutionally. So I think that it will develop a lot of new use cases that we haven't thought of, and we have to build platforms that have that future proofing because those those uh, audience, when they come online and start using phones, they will be doing applications that we, we wouldn't think uh, were possible. And, uh, and we'll have to prepare these platforms with enough memory and enough storage and enough processing to be able to deal with that. No, it is an exciting time. And I love that uh, example you gave where, uh, you know, ir- irrespective of what their academic background is, um, people are using these devices in new and interesting ways that we aren't expecting because they, yeah. they don't have a perception of what is normal. I, I love it when I see older people holding the smartphone up to their ear and they're yelling into it. And then I see young kids walking along just holding the phone in front of them, talking to it on camera with a video call. <laughs> and, uh, and then the other right. day uh, I was in um, Frankfurt and a couple of kids were literally just holding the phone out to the side. And I couldn't work out why they were holding the phone sort of at their shoulder. They were having a phone call. They just didn't hold it to their ear and they weren't staring at it. The phone was just in the environment with them and they were obviously talking <laughs> to friends. So it's almost like it's like this little smart exactly. agent. You know, we, we need to stop calling them phones, I think. Right. But it, it really struck me. They're sitting at the airport. Right. It was like middle of the night. We're between flights. And they were just holding the phone in a general proximity uh, on hands-free. It wasn't annoying and obnoxious. <laughs> right. And uh, I was just like, wow, this is the new normal of how we make phone calls. Um, we don't hold it up to our ear anymore. I need to change. Exactly. I need to change. I wonder if I can give you one last question. I, I, love, I, I would love to wrap up with something that mm. I do with a lot of my guests where if I was to hand you a virtual crystal ball and get you to gaze into it for a moment, you've given us some amazing insights and in kind of where you've come from and your background and pedigree. Uh, some of the exciting things you've been working on inside Micron around your role, the amazing, exciting uh, announcement today as well, and some of the general pivots and shifts and trends that we're seeing around what's happening in storage and memory and the value of that and the compute and the sensors. Um, and I, I love the the view that, you know, the, the next use case is one that we haven't imagined yet because we don't need to. Somebody else will figure it out. You just need to build the capability of the platform, which is what you're doing. But over the next 12 to 18 months, there are a lot of big moving parts that are now joining uh, it's almost like these, these tectonic plates of capability like 5G and the compute you've got and the sensors and your amazing memory density. Um, I wonder if you could share just a, a little bit of over the horizon uh, as, a, as a last question to you. If you were to gaze into a virtual crystal ball, what are some of the things that you're sensing uh, beyond sort of the, the, the phone component that we're going to see coming over the horizon at us are things that maybe we hadn't anticipated, things that people can just sort of ponder and think, well, mm. Mm, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think uh, I think the big trend uh, um, that I see, a big change that's happening is, um, you know, I think we we, um, you know, we the devices we build, the devices we use, whether they're phones or computers or cars or, or uh, you know, uh, whatever it is that you that integrate into your life, I think the ability for these devices to be context aware, uh, I think, is kind of like the big change, and we're just seeing early stages of that. I mean, with things like, you know, Alexa or whatnot, where you kind of say, hey, watch ESPN, and it'll kind of figure out what is ESPN for you, the way your device is connected in your house, you know, with your set-top box and your TV, and it'll change the channel to ESPN, or, or you tell the car park, and it'll figure out how that is. But I think that's kind of like a, an early indication of, uh, of the ability of, for the device to have context and, and behave in a way that context is different for you versus someone else. Like, I'll give an example. You know, if you talk about phones, for example, one, or you could talk about any other device, you know, how long does a phone battery life last and what are the kind of optimizations that needs to be done in a phone to make the battery life last longer? Now, typically these things are done, most of these things have like one or two kind of, you know, optimization algorithms, if you will. Like, you know, even on a computer, you can say go to hibernate or sleep or battery saver mode or power saver mode, just kind of like, four or five buttons and you try to use them. And they're the same for everybody. But honestly, everybody uses these devices differently. Everybody has a different use model, different context model, different applications. So these devices will get smart to the point where they will customize and be aware of the context based on who is using and, uh, and adapt to that context. And I think with AI and machine learning coming on so strong, that context awareness uh, is going to get to the next level uh, in the next few years. And we're just seeing early stages of it with, uh, you know, chatbots and speech agents and so on. But there's a much, much bigger uh, concept of devices being totally aware and customized to each end user and behave differently. And that's got a, quite a bit of implication 
on processing, quite a bit of implication on memory, quite a bit of implication on storage, because you kind of have to anticipate that for all set of users and figure out how to provide a superset because ultimately the way they deliver will be different for every person. And that's kind of one big thing. And the other one I think is kind of what I alluded to in the beginning, which is um, the current paradigm of processor storage, memory, is an interesting compute architecture paradigm, but if you fast forward five, 10 years from now, I'm not quite sure that hard division of uh, tasks will be the same uh, because, uh, like I said, I mean, this existence proof of how humans do things, it, there's no real hard separation between what is memory and what's storage and what's compute in the real human brain. And as we understand more and more how to do that, we may evolve a different set of architectures that actually might, you know, combine those in unique ways. Those are probably the two things that I see coming in the next, I don't know, five, 10 years. Oh, that's inspiring. I, um, I want to leave our listeners with one last question as well. And I, I would like listeners to uh, either individually, if they're developers and, and technical orientated, or if you're, you're the heads of an organization, uh, ponder when the last time was your organization thought about memory as part of your subsystem or ecosystem. Where does it fit? Uh, even to the point of what does it actually mean, you know, and what are you doing as an organization to prepare for some of the new future design patterns that, that you just shared today, Raj? And in particularly, how are you going to leverage it and maximize to get value from it from your own organization or for your consumers and customers? When you think about, you know, the imaging, the processing, digital signal um, processes, AI, machine learning, some of the neural processing that's going to the devices, when 5G comes along, are organizations prepared and ready for it? Have they got strategies? Have they got plans? Have they got the right skill sets? Because I think, you know, people like yourself and your team and certainly organizations like Micron are positioning us to be, uh, to have the right technology available. Um, and one of the things I'd like listeners to think about is, well, as an organization, are we now preparing to leverage that technology? How are we going to prepare for that? Because uh, I think there's a very brave future ahead of us. And uh, you've definitely given us an amazing sense over the last hour of, of even just uh, what that might be possibly like. And, uh, and hopefully we'll have you back on the show again soon in a few months just to, uh, to sort of recap and look at where we got to. Because I think uh, if there's one thing I've noticed uh, about your brand is that, uh, that uh, intelligence accelerated. It's literally built into the DNA of the, of the brand promise. And uh, I suspect in three to six months' time we're going to be even more amazed by some of the things that's coming out of your organization. But Raj, it's been fantastic to get some time with you. Thank you so much for making uh, uh, your afternoon available to catch up with me. And uh, I'm really excited about where we're going, as you said, over the next 12 to 18 months of some of these uh, capabilities. And uh, yeah, the sky's the limit in many ways. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys. Really, really enjoyed the conversation and uh, wonderful to talk to you and to your listeners.